0: Hey, it's Empire's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. Parents keep secrets. For better or worse, I imagine all of our parents have at least a little thing about their lives that they're keeping to themselves. Carrie Washington's memoir, Thicker Than Water, is all about a very big secret that her parents kept from her. And what's interesting about the way she lays out the story to NPR's Juana Summers is that Washington's parents didn't reveal their secret because they had all come to some you know, ineffable right and good place in their relationship. No, no, no. Instead, her parents got boxed into it and had to come clean. But it sounds like that was the impetus for the three of them to achieve that place of better understanding.
1: This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore. Jump into a new perspective on performance apparel.
2: Kerry Washington is no stranger to playing characters holding on to massive secrets. It was an occupational hazard for political fixer Olivia Pope on the hit series Scandal. If
3: you don't get subpoenaed, this
2: never happened. And in Little Fires Everywhere, Washington stars as Mia, a surrogate who runs away to raise the baby she carried for another family as her own. Only one other person knows her secret by the time Mia's daughter is a teenager. Did I do the right thing?
3: Keeping the truth from her.
2: Only you know that. As Mia listens to her friend, her face buckles in pain, tears streaming down her face. In real life, Carrie Washington says that take of the scene mirrored the pain of a real life secret. It's one of many private, personal revelations that Washington lays bare in her new memoir, Thicker Than Water. Carrie Washington, first of all, thank you so much for joining us here in studio today. Thank you for having me here. I am so excited to talk with you about your new book, but I think we should say before we get started that you reveal a lot in this book. So if there are people out there who do not want to have this book spoiled and want to experience it for themselves, this is the point of the conversation where maybe you might want to turn your radio down, take a break for the next few minutes, right?
3: Yes, but then make sure to go and download the app and listen to the segment. Exactly.
2: You'll want more when you read it, I hope. Where I want to start this conversation is with the big revelation that is at the center of this book. Mm -hmm. And it's when you, in your 40s, learn that your father, Earl, was likely not your biological father. This was a lifelong secret that your parents were carrying. And now you're talking about it openly. You're letting the world in on it. How does it feel for you to be putting that out there and to be sharing it?
3: it's very strange.
2: <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I'm I'm doing so
3: many interviews right now and appearances in support of the book and I'm really used to a press day, right? Like I'm used to talking about other people's stories and other people's narratives, so to have these conversations really centered around me and my family, my parents in particular has been strange but also I think liberating.
1: Hmm.
2: Can you take us back to that moment, that conversation, and how you found out about this big secret that your parents had been keeping, if I remember correctly? This whole journey for you started out with a text message from your mom.
3: Yeah. So I'll back up a little bit further to say the series that I was on was ending. I was suddenly going to have more free time than I'd had in years. And I ran into an old friend, Skip Gates who hosts a wonderful show on PBS called Finding Your Roots. And I'd always wanted to be on that show, but i never really had the time. So he asked me if I wanted to be on it. And I said, yes, this is the moment. And then they sent these DNA kits for my family. And my dad started to panic. Oh. He started not being able to sleep and he got really irritable. And my parents suddenly were changing their mind and saying that they weren't sure that they wanted to follow through with this. And I couldn't get to the bottom of it. I couldn't figure out, what their resistance was. I asked Skip to get on the phone with them. And my mom, she asked in this kind of very hypothetical, like, what if maybe there's a chance that Carrie was born from a sperm donor?
0: Would mm. that show
3: up in the DNA test? And he said it would. And they said, okay, well, I don't think we're going to do the show. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what's going on? Like, can we talk about this? And, you know, Skip really encouraged my parents to give me this information. He said, I've been doing the show a long, long time, and I've seen this happen with so many families. When people don't get a chance to talk it through while their parents are still alive, there's no opportunity for a resolution and for the family to make peace. So my parents sent me this text message and sat me down and shared this news with me. And um, it really was the beginning of a process that I think we're still on, but this very kind of transformative process for my family.
2: What? did the three of you learn about each other as you were going through that process i mean obviously this was big news for you but i have to imagine this was an incredibly difficult moment for your parents and their marriage that they are choosing to tell you this
3: yeah i think if they could have taken it to their grave they would have um but they and this is this is what's so extraordinary about my parents they made the choice that they thought would be best for me Mm. by telling me, even though it was so uncomfortable for them. And I think about that a lot because I think that's so much of what parenting is. It's that willingness to think about what's best for the child, right? Like not to think that the kid is here to fulfill our dreams and be who we want them to be, but that we need to be who we need to be in order to be of service of that evolving human. I think my parents were innovators. They were groundbreakers. This was the mid-70s. This was a highly experimental medical procedure, artificial insemination. And they took this risk because they really, really wanted me. And I think I'm so lucky to have that love. Now, the relationship that we have is so much more intimate and honest and open. It was like all the veils came down. All the walls came down. There's no longer a sense that there's anything I can't ask my parents or that they can't ask me. Like my parents have read the book. They've given me their blessing. They're incredibly generous and what supportive. What did they think? Um, you know, my dad is like, it's not the book I would have written. <laughs> sure. Right. Which is fine because it's my book, right? But the fact that he remains supportive and loving and – um understands why it's important for me to be on this journey. I think all of that is part of the grace that we've learned to give each other in the unpacking of this truth. What did your mom say when she read the book? So I, I just, I will never forget it because my mom finished reading it and she came over to my house and she hugged me. She gave me a really big hug and she said, I'm so proud of you. It's so beautifully written. I really, really love it. And then because she's a retired professor, she handed it to me with lots of circles and (laughs) were, you know, red ink markings all over and she did some fact checking and she had some suggestions about grammar and syntax and um, she made the book better
2: for sure. In this book, throughout the course of it, you also peel away so many other layers and you disclose so much. I mean, you discuss hard things like sexual abuse at the hands of another child, the struggles with body image that you had and disordered eating, panic attacks. But you also come across at times, at least when I read it, is having so much pride in your parents and your upbringing despite all of that pain that you experienced when you were really young. So I guess the question that I have is do you regret your childhood or are you grateful for it or does it both at once?
3: Oh, it's such a good question. <sighs> And listen, things happen when they happen. Maybe this was when we were ready. Maybe we wouldn't have processed it with as much grace and compassion and love for each other. I like to think we would have, but I, I do sort of, I wouldn't change the journey, but I really do have so much compassion for that little girl and that teenage girl and that young adult who was in so much pain along the way. And I wish at times that she could have gotten help sooner, um, but I kind of get that this was
2: my journey, right? Like this was, this was my path. That was Carrie Washington talking about her new memoir, Thicker Than Water. And if you're wondering how she has coped with the secrets and trauma she reveals in the book, well, you are not alone. We also talked about the work it took to find healing. You can hear that part of our conversation elsewhere in the show and on NPR.org.
1: Visit tinydeskcontest.npr.org to learn more. Then check out the Venture X card from presenting sponsor Capital One. Earn unlimited 2x miles on everything you buy and turn everyday purchases into extraordinary trips. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. This message comes from NPR's sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. TeleDoc Health understands whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight. TeleDoc Health can help. Visit TeleDocHealth.com/slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T E L A D O C
0: Health/slash What's Your Why. We're actually going to continue this conversation with Carrie Washington. And in this next section, she really unpacks her feelings of shame over being conceived using a sperm donor and the kind of mixed feelings she gets when people tell her that she's being brave. But NPR's to does start off this bit by asking her how the rest of her family, particularly her own kids, felt about coming out with this. I'd have to ask them. I'm reluctant to put words in their
3: mouth because I'm not really sure. But I was thinking, you know, this is not strange for them. They're like, okay, got it. You know, we're a blended family. They get it. A person can have more than two parents. No big deal. And I love that for them. And I love that that ease gets to be witnessed by my parents. It's obviously a big deal for me in a lot of ways. Like I'm now on this journey of trying to figure out who I am I guess spiritually, emotionally, culturally, but genetically, right? Like that 50% of me is now a mystery, but in the culture of our family and how much does it change, not so much.
2: You described it as a mystery and as a person who doesn't do well with a lot of unknowns, (laughs) I will just say. I'm curious, how do you think about that now with the fact that 50% of your genetic makeup is a mystery? How do you think about it today?
3: Well, I'm on the search. I have a really phenomenal team that's out there looking for the identity of the donor. The truth is I have a dad who I love very much. And so the information about this person is like an added bonus in the puzzle of me. So I know that the information about the donor will come in in the right time. And and I'm looking forward to it, but I don't have a lot of attachment about it needing to fulfill some kind of emotional idea. But listen, that's what I say sitting here, right? Like, I might figure out who the person is and go meet them and then be like, why don't you love me? I don't know. I don't know. It's,
2: it's all easy to say in the moment. You mentioned the fact that you have been notoriously (laughs) very private and Mm -hmm. kept your family life very close to you, despite the fact that your parents obviously make their own choices and are very present in your social media and whatnot. And I have to say, that was one of the things that I found most relatable in this book, because when you have these public jobs, and mine is significantly less public than yours, but- But I'm a fan, so I get it. (laughs) I know what you're you're saying. Mutual admiration society. (laughs) But I mean, you give up the sense of privacy. People take ownership. People feel this familiarity. With you. Mm -hmm. And given how much time you have spent guarding yourself and those close to you, why share so much of this and all of this now? You know, one of the first things that I realized when I sat there with
3: my dad the afternoon that they told me was that every time I had said, I love you to my dad up until that moment had been on the condition of a lie. There must have been some part of him that sat there and thought, Well, she loves me because she thinks I am her biological father. And I realized sitting there that. For the first time, I was going to have a chance to love my father unconditionally, for him to experience what unconditional love feels like, because I knew I wasn't going to go anywhere. I knew I was his and he was mine, and that kind of healing that only happens in truth I wanted more of that for myself as I started to be willing to kind of shake off the shame and step into who I am publicly. I wanted to really examine the story of who I am and how I came to be and how this fact of my conception actually impacted the way that I've dealt with truth and shame throughout my entire life.
2: I have to tell you, so I read the book, I sat it down, and one of the big things I thought other than that it felt very brave to me, was the fact that this is clearly a person who has done a lot of work on themselves, who knows themselves well and was able to get to a point where you not only felt comfortable with the truth that you're sharing with us, but where you felt comfortable telling us all about it. And so I just want to ask, and I hope this is not overly personal, how did you get there? (laughs) It's so funny because I want
3: to tell you something. Every time that somebody says the book is brave, I have to navigate this dual reaction. There's a part of me that says, oh, that's such a beautiful compliment. And then there's a part of my brain, there is a voice in my head that says, you've done something wrong. Oh, That when I hear you're so brave, I hear I wouldn't have done that. That's not okay to do. Hmm. And I know that that's not truth, but that's how the shame still lives in me a little bit. That in being brave, I'm going to threaten somebody else's safety or identity or well-being. And the truth is, I don't have to dig very deep to figure out where that comes from, right? Like my dad, as I write about in the book, literally said to me, if you take this DNA test, it will kill me, (laughs) right? So there was this idea that for me to be brave about myself, I would be destroying our family. But I also have the real life lived experience that that's not what happened, that my dad did live through it, and that we are actually closer And in a more like rich love than we've ever shared before. So (laughs) I think to answer your question, a lot of therapy, right? Like I've had a lot of therapy through the years. As I write about in the book, I started seeking therapy for my eating disorder in my early 20s. So I have a couple decades plus of doing this kind of work um, and all different kinds of therapy and group settings and one-on-one settings, couples therapy, family therapy, I think also my spiritual practice, prayer and meditation, really good friends who tell you the truth and who
2: you can tell the truth to, all of that. As you've been going through this process, was there ever a moment where you were writing this book and getting ready to go on this tour where you felt like, maybe I don't want to do this? I mean, every day. (laughs)
3: I'm not kidding. I mean, I tried to give my publisher their money back several times. Oh no. Several times. I was like, I have the check of the advance. It's coming your way. Um and thank goodness my publisher was my, and my editor that they were so supportive. But there were lots of times, you know, as as you talk about there's so many revelations in the book, so whether it was me writing about sexual abuse or me writing about my abortion story or me writing about some of the challenges of my career. Like there were so many times that I thought, not appropriate, too brave. You should not be doing this. You know, every step of the way, I was like, you know, I don't have to send it to my editor. Right. And then once I sent it to my editor, I was like, well, I don't have to agree to have it printed. And then when it was printed, I was like, I don't have to go on tour. Right. There were ways that I thought, I'm just gonna do what I can do today, and I'll let tomorrow be tomorrow.
2: Carrie Washington, her new memoir is Thicker Than Water. Carrie, it's a pleasure.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: That's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. If you want more, you can sign up for our newsletter at npr.org newsletter slash books. And just a reminder, you can sign up for Book of the Day Plus, which allows you to listen to Book of the Day without any sponsor breaks, and you'll be supporting our books coverage at NPR. You can find out more at plus.npr.org slash day. And a really big thank you to everyone who has already signed up. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. The podcast is produced by Isabella Gomez-Sarmiento and edited by Megan Sullivan. Our founding editor is Petra Mayer. The show elements for this week were produced and edited by Shannon Rhodes, Ryan Bank, Gable Connor, Matthew Sherman, Lucy Perkins, Martin Patience, Rina Advani, Destiny Adams, Ashley Brown, Karen Zamora, and Kat Lonsdorf. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks for listening.
1: This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com.
2: Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? ixl learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality one subscription gets you everything one site for all the kids in your home pre-k to 12th grade make an impact on your child's learning get ixl now and npr listeners can get an exclusive 20 percent off ixl membership when they sign up today at ixl.com npr this message comes from npr sponsor mint mobile From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch.